Barf! Pup Akis here with The Dog Dish, a podcast all about puppy play and the humans behind the hoods. This episode is a bit different from previous episodes, as you can probably already tell from the sound of the room I'm in. For this episode, I'm hanging out with lovely ladies from Trouble Comes in 3, a podcast that, and I'm quoting here like the fanboy I am, talks about scandalous topics such as communication, relationships, and sexual health. If you're under the age of 18, in human years, please check out scarletteen.com. Okay, I, I'm done quoting them for a bit. I, I hope I did it justice. I think so. You did. You did. Yes. You got all the important parts. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I myself learned about scarletteen.com from that text that Amuck reads at the top of each TCI3 episode. And after checking it out, I must say I'm impressed by Scarlet Teen's boldness, breadth, and maturity. Many people get really nervous when discussions of sexual behavior, activity, or decisions come up within earshot of people under 18. But that always seems to me to be a disservice to young people. I, for one, had my first orgasm at age 10, so that's a long time to go without any guidance or mm, you know, mature conversation. And that's something Scarlet Teen offers its visitors, and it does that really well. In essence, it succeeds through bold competence in defiance of folks who say they shouldn't do what they do. Mm. And that brings me to today's guests, three ladies who also succeed through bold competence in areas where other folks occasionally say they don't belong. That's where I'd like to start our conversation. Madam Hexa is a dominant female, uh, aka a femdom, with a male slave or boy who's a puppy. Guten Abend, Fräulein. Guten Abend, Liebling. Hmm. Uh, Caitlin Case is a fun ragdoll kitten who plays around with pups every chance she gets. Hello, Caitlin. And Amok is an indigenous female with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, meaning her body doesn't always do what it's supposed to in ways that are sometimes helpful and sometimes inconvenient. Arf! (laughs) (laughs) Between that lengthy introduction and the bubbly sitting before us, I think we should have enough to start talking. So, as you say in your episodes, let's get naughty, shall we? (laughs) So... When I initially said uh, that you all um, succeed when doing things that other people tell you you're not supposed to do or in places that you shouldn't be, there was generally laughter around the table. Uh, Can I get you to explain a bit why you're chuckling? I I have a really, like, one of my first interactions with the local community. Um, I'm a big girl. Like, I don't hide it. I'm BBW. I'm curvy. I got fluff. I'm also a Gumby. Nothing stays where it's supposed to. And back in like 2010, 2011, I started getting involved in the local rope community. And there were people, I was really interested in self-suspension. I thought it was beautiful and strenuous and hit all of my kinky, like, ooh, I want to do this thing. And more than one person was like, you'll never be able to do that. You're just too fat. So, I'm stubborn, and what I did was my very first self-suspension was a single-leg futamomo. A quick explanatory comma here for pups unfamiliar with rope work. A futamomo tie binds the lower leg to the thigh, and a single-leg futamomo suspension means the person being tied, the seam bottom, has all their body weight dangling from that one rope used to bind one leg into a folded closed position. It was with a bunch of people who were very well-known and very safe, and so it was a secure setting. But I was like, 
You, you don't think I can do this? I'm gonna do something incredibly difficult and hard on my body. And that has happened so many times over the years because people see me as fat or submissive or a girl or like I've also been told I can't possibly be a puppy, mm-hmm. which really hurt because it was from someone who is very well respected in a historical space mm-hmm. for the puppy lifestyle. So like these things keep coming up and sometimes it takes me a while to get the courage to go over them. Mm-hmm. But I just I just keep doing it and keep pissing people off because <laughs> I want to be a puppy. I feel like a puppy. Mm-hmm. I want to do rope. So with, with your rope example, people said that you couldn't do rope because you're too fat, and so you basically said, up yours, I'm going to do this really challenging thing as my way of showing you how wrong you are. Correct. <laughs> people say you can't be a puppy because you're female. Did you Do you have anything equivalent, like how puppy you are, to say, screw you? Um, yeah, I just bark at people. <laughs> But I will also say that she may or may not also pee on you if you make it angry. (laughs) Yeah, but that's fun for me. So for me, I like water sports. Um, But I, you know, I fought. You can ask my guys. I'm sure you've seen them be like, "Oh, you're not a puppy," and I'm like, "No, not a puppy." Stop my feet while wagging my tail. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I really fought it for a long time because I didn't feel welcomed. In any of the spaces. I knew one female pup. She's talking about Sheba Pup, who was Florida Puppy 2015, and coincidentally, the first ever female puppy title holder. Thank you, Time Zones, because California named their first female puppy title holder three hours later on the same day. But Tampa did get there first, and I digress. But that was it. Like, I... And she's not a super femme pup, and I am... Not super femme, but definitely more femme than that. I was going to ask if you felt being not only female, but more femme presenting kind of doubled your challenges. Yeah, because I have a very femme body. I have a very femme personality. Like, I'm not high femme all the time, Mm -hmm. but I can and I love it. (laughs) But that definitely, because like, there's a lot of times I wear dresses to events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They're in leather colors for my family's like clothing requirements, but still a dress and people were freaked out. Mm-hmm. And I've had times where I've flat out been told I wasn't welcome on mats mm-hmm. with the other pups. Mm-hmm. And that was as I was like, okay, I had already identified as pup within my family for a little while, but not publicly because it was such a contention point. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Right. They were very, very like, oh God, what is she going to do? Like she had to bring her breasts to her vagina. Oh no! Honestly, if I'm mounting you, it's because I want to dominate you and shove you over. But like, I have no interest in getting your tail. Right? (laughs) Don't flatter yourself, sweetheart. Yeah, no. So I I think you provided a good transition point. A minute ago, you said that you don't necessarily exist in that high femme thing, which then caused Madame Hexa to do a little hair toss. Yes. So (laughs) I joke. I'm definitely on the on the foot scale, but I I do I do present femme at a lot of events because you know. Let's dress up. We get to dress. You do well. <laughs> Unless it's normally like a, a like a high protocol leather event, then I lean way more foot because that's just kind of like the look and I like look too. Yes, we love it too. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> She's just giggling. Mm-hmm. That's why I put the towel under her, didn't we? Right. <laughs> 
So, so do you have any um, thoughts or examples that come to mind of? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That um, <laughs> well, I mean, focusing specifically on like BDSM and the leather community because that's kind of where our conversation is. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I'm also I'm a rope switch. Um, uh, Muck and I originally bonded because like we both we both riggers we both top and rope. And we're like, oh my god, another woman. Hi. Mm-hmm. So in my case for rope, it was less about how my body looked in rope. It was more the fact that I wanted to top and rope. That was the problem mm-hmm. because it's like, well, it's it's very like weird male centric. And I was shoved into topping. Which shoved isn't the right word. Like I leaned that direction because nobody wanted to try. Nobody you. wanted to tie me because apparently fat bodies don't look good in rope. Only skinny bodies do. So I. Which is insane Definitely in power exchanges. Being a femdom, um, when you're like a professional dominatrix, that's like that's the job, right? So like people are like, oh, that's the job. It's not like you don't live your life. But when you live your life in that lifestyle as a female dominant, it's a very different lens people look at you through, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's not just here. Like this also also in Europe, there tends to be if it's not a professional dominatrix, it tends to be more male master, female submissive. That's mm-hmm. just kind of that antiquated thing that mm-hmm. still exists everywhere um so i get a lot of pushback a lot of the times for like oh i just haven't found the right oh. i haven't been put in my place oh. yet i'm like i know my place it's top of the totem pole i don't know what, you, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you that's just that's here's where i sit get yeah. off my rock um yeah. you don't have to be near me um you can go over there so that's a lot um another kind of problem I've actually had, which brings a lot of sadness, and I think we can all relate to the mm-hmm. ladies who can relate to this, is in the um, queer female community. Um, I identify as bisexual, which I tell people because plumbing to me is irrelevant. So mm-hmm. whatever plumbing you got is fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do find sometimes in queer communities for, for women or women mm-hmm. identified, it's that, well, you're not really queer or gay enough to be, be here. Us. So you're not really... You don't belong here. Right. And that's if you can find it to begin with. Oh, right. Yeah. This is, of course, you find a like, group of six people. <laughs> that's then. a whole other thing where there just doesn't <coughs> exist. These, like, in our local community, there's not really any kind of designated spaces or barn eyes or things that happen with any regularity for queer women and mm-hmm. queer other, I should say, basically non-gay male. Yeah. There's plenty exactly. of gay male spaces, but for anyone who's not a gay male, we don't have that space. Mm-hmm. But when you do find some of these folks, there is this additional layer of friction, which mm-hmm. is like, we're on the same team. Right. Yeah. I get the same for being pan. Yeah. It's the same. Do you find yourself being um, identified more based on the relationship you're in? rather than who you are. So I usually see you with your boy. Right. And therefore you visually appear heterosexual. heterosexual. Um, right. Yes, definitely. I mean, I also have my baby girl who is coming out to more events and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, She's adorbs. Y- you know what I mean? So I guess, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. So people do see that when you're in a, a straight-passing dynamic or a straight-passing relationship, even, um, you do kind of get discredited, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, part mm-hmm. of the alphabet soup, guys. I'm still here. And so then, does this, since this is a puppy podcast, I yes, might well see yes. if I could reel you into that side of the discussion. Oh, Has for this a female ever, handler? Right. <laughs> have, have, you, have you noticed that being problematic or misread or not accepted or anything like that? So my experience, quote-unquote, as a handler, I'm as dominant when he's a puppy. I'm still as dominant. So handler's just kind of like, in my, for me, mm-hmm. is just the label that I get because I'm the dominant of a puppy in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I love puppies. I love playing with them. I love watching them wash. 
Um, I have had, when I've brought him to puppy events, him, people try to like kind of commandeer him away mm-hmm. and separate us, you know, which makes him very uncomfortable. So I've had that, whether it's from overzealous puppies, which is for me more acceptable than, you know, a male handler coming in and like trying to muscle their way oh. in between me and what belongs to me. Mm-hmm. So that would be my concern. Um, but as far as me just being in a space, much like to what Amok said, I'm a woman in a space that even though I'm not trying to mosh, I'm not the puppy, I'm still in what is typically a gay male space, and I'm seen as a bother, I'm seen as an interloper, even though I'm there to watch <coughs> watch my boy have fun and make mm-hmm. sure that he's safe. So there's still that kind of, even though I'm not the one trying to get in there, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of seen as like the gat fly. The only real like public moshing I've ever done was at an event five hours away. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't... Yeah, it was during a pig week. Uh, and I just... It's five hours away. I don't know 90%. Well, not 90. Because we know... You know too many people. <laughs> yeah. You know too many people. But they're, they're all real, real shit-faced. And probably won't remember. And the right. puppy group was very small. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But locally, like I just whether it be handler situation or a pup, like I just don't feel comfortable as a female yeah. a and lot I, of times. And I would add that, like you mentioned, like the femme presenting, if I don't go like leather daddy, I'm definitely going to get pushed out. I'm definitely going to be seen as a problem there. When I dress more, more footch or more kind of like the leather daddy look, I've got the biker jeans on, I've got the vest on, I look a little meaner. There tends to be a modicum of more acceptance than... It's because they're scared of you. Yes. But also... <laughs> but the look, right? You've adopted the look. You're integrating. You're trying to blend in. I mean, as best, as best as I can, given the shape of my body, which is not a man's, um, you know, traditionally. So it's, it, it, I do find that it's easier to kind of not be seen as... I'm ignored as opposed to, like, maybe... Uh, ousted on purpose as opposed to like you know, when, yeah. I, when I dress a little more mm-hmm. rough I suppose mm. and so how about you are there are there experiences <laughs> that you've had that okay <laughs> that is the reaction you're going to follow us really? sorry yep. not sorry um, no that's yeah, exactly why no, I'm, I'm it, asking these yeah, questions yeah so yeah. a lot of ways so like outside of you know being a kitten in a puppy world in a mm-hmm. puppy predominant critter community um you know, also, I am a very, very young, very, very femme female. Mm-hmm. And so my age is one thing that, you know, has gotten me a lot of flack in, you know, the critter community, in the BDSM community, and leather community, just because you're so young, you don't actually know what you're talking about. You don't actually know what you're into. You're still finding yourself. But don't worry, you'll get there. I'll help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flip that the was, table. That was me uh, attempting to be like and bastard an is gender neutral. Boy. By the way, yeah. bastard is gender neutral. Uh, okay, let me help you find yourself. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, internal and external screaming. Yeah. Um, no, and so you know, I've had a kind of, I had gotten used to having like those kinds of fights of like you know, I am what I would consider fairly knowledgeable for my age. I've been looking into this type of stuff for a really long time. Um, and then, so when it got to being a kitten, that's something I found kind of later down the line. So, you know, I've already gone through the other fights of 
being the outsider, being mm-hmm. the one looked down upon, being the one kind of like pushed out and have conversations stop as soon as someone finds out my age, like mm-hmm. at an event, middle of a sentence, and like, you're that, you're what? Okay, bye. Like it never even happened. Um, and so, you know, I had gotten used to those kind of things and had built up a bit of a shell to those kinds of things. But when it came to finding my critter side, which happened to be a kitten slash panther, um, there's a swing, there's was, a swing there. There's a little swing. Um, it was. Large. It's a large kitten. Large. It is a large. It's, it's your mood. Are, but are it's you also you fuck with my people and take it out. or do I have to eat you? Yeah. So yeah. my panther side was partially because you know I do. It's kind of like the kitten version of that mom friend override. If you fuck with what's mine, mm-hmm. like I might not stand up my for people. myself, but like if I'm there with a friend who's new and you're picking on them or you're not thing like. You bet your ass I am going to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. And so, but it also kind of evolved in puppies didn't really know what to do when a kitten got on the mat. Partially whether it was because I was a woman, partially whether it's because I wasn't a puppy, or partially because they just, like, okay, kittens are soft and, like, fluffy and they don't really romp. So, like, I'll get kitten. down and play with you. And so that's kind of also where I started identifying and, like, adding that and panther moniker because people in the pet play and primal community have that kind of recognition of, okay, primal animals play harder. Okay. And so I don't consider myself primal, but, like, you know, panther cub. That, that's like, a way oh, in. It's, it's, like, it's like, like a way it's in because like, oh. it's like, oh, I'm a kitten. And they're like, okay. I'm like, but I also am kind of panther. And they're like, oh, so you'll, like, wrestle? I'm like... Yeah, I'll wrestle. And it's like that weird, mm-hmm. it was a very weird shift. And, some, and that's why I'm like, oh, I'm a kitten or a panther. Like, it just Good kind of. today. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, in our local community, within the past, well, I can't say the past year because COVID. But in <laughs> the last year that things were open, we started to see more critter events yeah. come out, you know. Yep. It was not just a puppy mosh. It was not just, you know, puppy wigs. Yes, pretty much. Pretty much. But, you know, like... Is that my turn to do the hair talk? If only we knew who to do for for really pushing this agenda. Yeah, and, you know, like, um, the Phoenix Club started to have, like, sort of, like, a critter night. um, It was a real... They had a legit critter. Yeah, they had a critter night. And other events And that was the first... The critter night was actually the first place that I... The very first one they ever held when they were like we might do this thing mm-hmm. so i went and that was where i got my first like really nose turned up when i got on the mat and so like there were a group of puppies or like other i think there was like a bear but like other heart more quote-unquote hardcore playing mm-hmm. romping mm-hmm. critters were there you know so i kind of got in and like you do like the friendly thing and you know one of them was like what is like oh what are you <laughs> like what kind of puppy are you and i was like oh i'm a kitty and they all just like not got up and left but like kind of stopped romping and like sat there for a little while and then like slowly one by one got up and walked away and so it was kind of like okay now I'm alone on the mat yeah. with all these toys like goodbye and so like I so I just sat there you know I batted the toys around on my own like okay so I'm trying to remember if this was the night that you and I met or before pre you and I meeting okay yes because he's I, like I, remember, I would have definitely it was, no no I did definitely yeah. that's okay. <laughs> no, so I they had had one before yes, the I night that screaming you, yeah. they had had one a few months before you the one you had come to mm-hmm. um and so and it was like shortly after meeting you that we had that one and so it was really nice and that was kind of what got me into romping mm-hmm. more because after that you know 
I'd stand from afar and like if a puppy like lost a toy, you know, I'd roll the ball back, but I wouldn't get down and critter. Yeah. Um, you engaged as a human more. Than I engaged as a human more yeah. than anything because, like, you know, I know what it's like to want to have someone to play mm-hmm. with, and so you know, I did that. And then the one you came to, you know, we kind of we had met, I think, once before, and mm-hmm. you were like, "Hey, I'm going to stay." It's like, cool. If I come, are you comfortable romping with me? Mm-hmm. You're like, what kind of question is that? It was like, what do you see? And Akis made exactly the face you think he would make when I explained the situation to him. <laughs> the same face he's making right now, I mean. Yeah, I am aghast and The not actually. on my watch. This right. Okay. right. And that was the first time I really got to romp with a puppy. And it was really, really fun. Like, that's one of my favorite moments of us together. Because, you know, we played and we wrestled a little. And, you know, I kind of flopped down. And you're like, your butt looks like a good pillow flop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it not was wrong. the cutest thing ever. <laughs> what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was um, yeah, so. And so, like, you know, so that was a really, like, thing. And since then, I've seen a lot more openness mm-hmm. because you have had a really big impact as, you know, with your title as the first, you know, critter title. Mm-hmm. You have had a lot of impact in that. And I have seen it to be more integrated. We The land shark still hasn't contacted us. I and know. I'm so angry. Yeah. Not to, like, distract from the conversation, <laughs> but from your previous conversation on our yeah. podcast, like, but you're seeing a lot more out there critters start to come and be public with it. I have a first-ish time meeting Akis and him helping me embrace my puppies. Yay! Oh, yes, it's good, good because I don't remember this. <laughs> That's great. You were drinking. <laughs> Tell yeah. your story. Peabody. Uh, or not Peabody. Uh, Parli- I was thinking the Pea House. Parliament House. Another explanatory comma. She's referring to Parliament House, a classic nightlife venue that operated in Orlando, Florida from 1975 to November 2020. The now-demolished Parliament House Orlando is not to be confused with the still-in-operation Parliament Resort in Augusta, Georgia, which is also often referred to as Pea House. Amuck means the one in Orlando, and thank Goodness, those walls got demolished because, honey, the scandalous stories they could tell. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get back to Amok's narrative. <clears throat> we met at Pea House? Oh, we did. <laughs> He's like, uh-oh. Oh. Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> I need dirt on myself here. No, tell me the girl. I need to hear this. I believe it was a Florida puppy contest weekend. Okay, that makes Probably sense. Probably the only reason I was at Pea at House. Pea House. Mm-hmm. And the guys and I went up. Because we do the Florida puppy thing quite often. Uh, you know, they started it and all. Yeah, it's a minor deal. <laughs> minor detail. The founders deal. probably founded the, the Florida pedigree. Puppy but I had seen you at events before because you're the orange pup. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had a real chance to, like, chat with you. Mm-hmm. And at some point during the day, we ended up on a, like, a park or a picnic bench. Mm. And me and you were sitting on top of the picnic bench. And we were just talking about stuff. And, like, Shadow and Topher had been talking, too, and then they got drug off because that's what happens to them all the time. I mean, you were talking, and I was like, okay, so this dude, also very academic-y in his, like, brainishness, like, I've been in academia for 20 years. Like, there's a a brainwave that's just like, oh, you're academic-ish. So, like, that, and you were older, and you were really confident in your puppy space, like, your puppy... He's like, mm-hmm. it's a thing. I get it. But right, Ruggishly I'm almost handsome. forty. Ruggishly there aren't handsome. a ton of new pups that are. Yeah. I, there out weren't already. any. Like if you weren't a 22 year old, 
twink, then I wasn't seeing anyone. Yeah. Right. You should already know who you are by the time you're our age. So right. how could you possibly be discovering something new about yourself? What even happened? Right. Yet? And so, like, honestly, that conversation gave me a lot of confidence to start stomping my foot less about the puppy thing and start in like thinking about it and like dipping my paw in the water and seeing with my family because I knew the guys would be safe like to do that way but like that conversation with you was one of the first ones and then we've had a number of conversations since then that I'm like Oh, I feel like I feel. Yeah, it's, oh my God. it's almost like being accepted and encouraged for who who you are as a positive. Wow, thing. who I would have thought? Weird outside my family. Wow, that's <laughs> and that's why we love you. Thanks. Fascinating. Yeah. So, okay, I do want to go back to okay. your comment about um, identifying as a panther gives people an in, which seriously, I'm, I've been sitting over here with my brain in a, Just in trying a to think. twist. Because when, when you introduce yourself as a kitten, I immediately went, oh, that makes so much sense because I understand how to play with a cat. Yeah. Just like I always say, if you want to interact with a puppy correctly, you interact with them as a dog, not as a person pretending to be a dog. Yeah. So you say you're a kitten, I'm like... Got it. I will treat you like a cat. Tentative sniff, sniff. See how you cat feel it out. Right. Like, she might bite you after you start scratching her belly. Right. Like I, I, right. I, I, I knew to look for the warning signs that she was about ready to scratch me. Right. And, and there Which are and there are warning signs. That same yep. night that we played, there was a newer person who was kind of wanting to get into the kind of the handler side of things. They weren't really sure. They were kind of on the edge of the mat. I was like, well, come like sit with me and like. Kitties are sometimes a little bit easier to play with in my brain because all you have to do is like laser point. I'm, I'm giving you side eye, but that's fine. Yeah. He's like, you're uh, wrong, but go on. Well, <laughs> it just had a big part in convincing them as well to kind of get onto mm-hmm. the mat. But you know, puppies sometimes get rough, and there were a few like mm-hmm. more primal animals there. And I, and you know, some of the roughhousing got a bit too close to them, and you know, I immediately because kitty mode just like laid in their lap and hissed at the people and they were like oh okay sorry and like scooted mm-hmm. over a little bit and like protecting my space in my brain that's kind of my panther side coming out I don't normally just like hiss at people even yeah. as my kitty I'm a rag doll I'm pretty fairly like flop um why you, hit us, you hiss at us sometimes <laughs> but it's normally because we're calling you out on something yeah that's fair um but that's not necessarily She's like, like I just like yeah, um, but yeah, no, and so you know, the panther title kind of made it a bit easier, I think, for some people because I don't know that a lot of puppies know how to play with kitties, even in like a bio kitty sense. Yeah, that's um, that fascinates me. I will say the one place that I felt very comfortable, um, I've always identified with a little bit of a critter side. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of, until very recently, that was a very separate Mm -hmm. community. Um, But Critter Camp had two of the best moshes I ever went to. One I DM'd, and one I did get to play a little bit in. And that was the, like, there were puppies, there was a bear, there, uh, I'm a Firefox in that headspace, so, like, I was there, there was a bunny, Mm -hmm. I think there was a chicken. There is a bird that runs around this community. A bird and a kangaroo. Yeah. It's a very small event that happens in the spring. But the people that attend that one, it's such a different vibe Mm. on puppies and critters being together than it is at the rest of... And I'm like, if we could have this... Just large scale. On a larger scale, like that kind of openness. There were cats, everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we all romped on the same mats. Yep. And we all yeah. played together. And nobody was looking at each other like, 
Why oh, you're a dirty you girl, here? or you're—I mean—unless you want to be called dirty. Right. Girl. Like, <laughs> but that's then it different. Again, that's different. Another conversation for another time. Right. But, different. Yes. But yeah. So yeah. so in the, at that particular event, it's called Critter Camp. Right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and so the expectation is there will be critters, and it is not dedicated to a particular species mm-hmm. of any kind. Right. Whereas in the kink community at large, the it's the one species that has gotten all the attention night. is puppy. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's it's this self fulfilling prophecy at this point where it's yeah. popular because there are so many people in it. Because it is so popular, it brings more people to it. Right. And we mm-hmm. can't really escape. And it does exist in this kind of historical context yeah. as well, as far Especially as like, like puppy play. Community. Yeah. In, 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 the, in the leather sense. And sure. like, I, I never really did, I didn't like pet play in Europe. Like in yeah. It's very different. Yeah. It's very different, and I understand the process for it, why it exists, what it's for. This person's being punished. Okay, cool. But the hood is so <laughs> cute. <laughs> I was so- oh, I'm so weak. I couldn't. I'm like, oh my god, I can't. So when I got here, and I'm like, you mean I can pet his head if he lets me pet his head? And you're not gonna yell at me? I can interact with him. I can acknowledge its existence. I can scratch so into this now. I, I want to kind of call you out here for a quick second. Okay. So okay. Th- those of you listening probably heard the, the, the tone of her voice melt as she yes, was explaining I that. I love them. I see you physically soften when you see them. puppies play. I love them. You get a little bit squeaky almost. I love them. Because you, mm-hmm. right, you, like, that's what you are gushy in your affection. Mm-hmm. Which... I see as being completely counter to your normal yes. persona <laughs> of being the dog. Yes, because right? people, but puppy. Exactly. That, that right there that just is exactly what I mean. That just needs to be the sound for this episode. Yes. People, but, but puppies. But yeah. I will say, if I'm in a bad mood, Uh-oh. and I'm, you know, because my boy cohabitates with me, if I'm in a bad mood, he will go into his room, I'll hear him ruffling around, and I'll be pissed off for whatever reason. Like, oh, what the because he he's breaking something else and shows it comes in. And I'll hear the shuffle, 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 and I'll look, and he's coming out of the room on with, the with the gear on. And he just put his head in my lap, just like my real bio so bulldog. He's like, do. emotional support puppy. And he's like, emotional support puppy. And I'm like, I hate that you did this, but now that you're here, oh, good, 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 good. And, and, and so he's giving you puppy dog eyes. Exactly, yep. exactly. Yep. And he, he, he is he's taking a stressful situation, just like a regular mm-hmm. emotional support animal would do, taking a stressful situation and kind of turning it over and putting the attention kind of somewhere else. And it's kind of very sweet, but also mm-hmm. I'm like, You're like still mad at you. So we'll talk about this later. <laughs> when you when take this one off, we'll have a conversation. <laughs> so is that him exerting control over the interaction and over the scene? I wouldn't almost? say. I wouldn't and say. It, it's control over the scene. What I would say in a situation like that, it is he saw me with a need. So a service. Need. Yeah, it's a service. service. It's a very much a service. He saw me with a need. The need was I'm in a bad mood. Whether he made me mad or the world did, which mm-hmm. is, you know, who knows? <laughs> Flip of a coin. Yeah. Could have been anything. Um, my madam is upset. My ma- Here's something I can do, which mm-hmm. is minimal effort on his part, to change that. Mm-hmm. And so he does it. Because earlier, you... Oh gosh, I forget how you phrased it. You you said something about um, even when you're around puppies, you are still the dominant, and that yes. is still the role that you play. And, and I even who made a note: the food in, mm-hmm. controls the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you broke his brain. I agree with you. So okay, so the, the question like, put the bowl down. <laughs> the question that I wrote down was: Is there a difference between the handler role and the dominant role? 
that might cause some of that presumption of your distance from the scene. Because earlier you were saying when you go into a space that's for puppies, people don't think you necessarily belong there. Right. And I and and when forgive me, when I see you around puppies, I do not view you as that strong dominant persona. Right. I view you as a person who is to be enticed because we're so cute. Absolutely. <laughs> I can treat a puppy. I can treat myself occasionally. First off, I deserve this. <laughs> Second off, I think yes, there's you a, do deserve you know, puppies. Well, I, I do deserve you. all the puppies. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, I'll first qualify this with: I don't need to assert dominance over everyone in the room. Mm-hmm. The only dominance I need to maintain is with my boy. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I am squealing because I see puppies that are cute, or whether I have a bullwhip in my hand, that exists between us. Mm-hmm. So. Whether I'm dominating in latex or I'm dominating in pajamas, the conversation is always there. So mm-hmm. none of that changes just because my demeanor does. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, how other people perceive me in the room is kind of irrelevant to me. Again, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not trying to dominate the whole room. I have no business doing that. None of these puppies belong to me. I'm just there to admire their cuteness. <laughs> so what I just heard from that is I am an observer to your... Scene's the wrong word, but to your scene. Yeah. And... I am imposing a a presumption that the terms of your scene apply outside your scene, what which is mean? incorrect. I when when I see you melting yeah. and I go, "Aha! I caught you not being a dummy dom." Uh, what I'm doing is expecting that you're supposed to be a dom all be the time. Uh, I yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm I see not. You. I'm not respecting your boundaries. Basically. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, I may take it a little slightly different. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, or you're observing that when she's soft, she's not dominant, forgetting that some of the strongest materials in the world are incredibly soft and fluid. Mm-hmm. She's dominant regardless of how squeaky she's being. Mm-hmm. Because in half a second, if she tells me, if I'm over here for a romp and I'm playing around and I'm real deep in headspace, and she's like, girl, drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, she'll say it like, girl, drink. And I will turn and go because ma'am said, mm-hmm. go drink. Mm-hmm. If I'm not listening because I have a toy in my mouth, and obviously that is more important than everything, <laughs> okay, or so I'm hiding all of the she toys. Oh, she is a toy. She mother. is a hoarder. I have seen her she's do a, that. If she's being sweet or if she's start, girl, drink now. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to look at her because my guys, if I'm here for a mosh, she is the dominant of the room. She is taking care of me for my guys, mm-hmm. and I have to respect her for that, even if she's not my dominant. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let, let's let's keep talking about communication here, and I want to ask a little about communication styles or communication norms, and my question is basically, how do our interactions change when or because we are animals? So, for the two of you, and, and for the listening audience, I'm, I'm <laughs> pointing to Amuk and Caitlin. Uh, for the two of you, we interact as humans, and sometimes we interact as critters. Mm-hmm. And I'm t- now pointing to Madame Hexa. We interact as humans, and sometimes we interact when I'm a critter. Mm-hmm. How does that change things? Uh, my, my theory... Body language! <laughs> <laughs> body language! Body wants That's how I Maybe it is! Does puppy want a cheese puff? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's been a while. So I I was thinking that there's... We build a layer of familiarity when Mm -hmm. we engage in conversation as humans, when we interact as people, and that familiarity stays even when we interact as critters. 
the the conversations don't necessarily mm-hmm. like we're not going to be able to bring up something that we talked about a couple weeks ago whenever we're in headspace it's just not going to occur to us even if you tried to talk to me about something yeah. i wouldn't remember it talk to me later yeah right heads on but i think the familiarity that we've built as humans remains when we are critters yeah and that, that helps us engage because we can read each other's like mischief face Yes, but it also, like, the body language cues we pick up on when we're humans is the same body language cues we pick up on when we're critters. Excited. Excited. <laughs> I want out of this situation. Help. I am bored. Help. You know, help. help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are things that, if we're familiar with that as just a general interaction, even though we kind of go into a headspace as a critter and it's altered, we're still aware of that because those people are important to us. And so, you know, in a romp, we communicate really well in romps because we've had time getting to know each other outside of romps. There is kind of that short area of air when introducing yourself to new pups, just like bio puppies being introduced. <laughs> There's going to be kind of that standoffishness of, I don't know, why are you being so aggressive? Are you mad at me? Oh, no, that's just how you play. It's going to be that same thing of you have to learn that person. You have to learn that pup. You have to learn that critter. You have to learn that kitty. Mm-hmm. It takes time to adjust to, and we kind of have an advantage knowing each other outside of it. When that fl- uh, switch gets flipped, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're Akis the human, quote, quote, versus Akis <laughs> the puppy, mm-hmm. quote, quote, um, are all your relationships on the same level when you make that switch? Or is it kind of like a different personality where you almost have to reintroduce yourself? Like, do it like if, like, yeah. think about the Sims here. Like, if you've got like 10 points in your relationship with somebody and then mm-hmm. you're now in puppy mode, does that transfer? Or are you like introducing them for the first time? So, it's a really interesting question coming from you because most of the time, whenever I know somebody on two feet and then I crawl around and meet them on four paws, mm-hmm. um, I usually think, oh, it's that person I already know. Now is my chance to get them to giggle. Okay. Because that's what I'm trying to do. So it's like to to make you do the thing that you always do when you see a bunch of puppies. Mm-hmm. Just get sweet and adorable and melt. Yes. That's what I want to do start with almost all biscuits. of my friends. I should whenever start I see bringing biscuits, yeah. honestly. The, um, the reverse, though, can be quite interesting. Whenever I, uh, whenever I interact with people who know me outside the kink community, oh, that's and a little different. I that's start a totally to... different situation. <laughs> yeah. So, not to completely disagree, just partially in that, I think that there's still because Matt has supposed the question of, is there a reintroductory, reductionary mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. Um, going from knowing each other as humans to going knowing each other as critters. And I think there was, at least for us, because we had even discussed in a little bit in length of, hey, we're going to this thing, how do you like to play? Mm-hmm. Do you, are you a rough kitty? Are you a, like, I need to just, like, flop on you and nap with you kitty? Mm-hmm. You know, we had those conversations. But even when we got on the mat, it wasn't hesitancy that I felt, but there was definitely that, I'm going to kind of introduce myself to you. And there was that, I'm going to test the waters. Mm-hmm. If I take my paw and I bop you on the side, are you going to freak out and bop me in the nose? Mm-hmm. Like, if I lean into you with my shoulder, are you going to push back or are you going to roll over? Mm-hmm. There's still that kind of, you were getting to know me as a kitty, even though you knew me as a kitty. That reminds me of the conversation that I had, I forget what episode number it was, but back with, with Topher on consent, mm-hmm. where you and I had 
had conversations as humans, and we it was like bar setting or what have you. Yeah, I think like a leather social or something, yeah. probably. And so we were just having conversation with drinks in our hands. There's no real need for a negotiation, a formal negotiation in that space. Yeah. We're just talking. Right. And, and so we had the conversation, and we're, we agreed that we were going to meet on the mats mm-hmm. at some point. And then, you know, fast forward a few weeks, and then we're there, and we see each other on the mats. That is a form of play. Yeah. That necessitates um, negotiation. And what we were doing in those moments that you rightfully pour, pointed out, <laughs> poured out, yes, yeah. as I see I the mean, yes. right next to the microphone. Yeah, well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, we... We knew that we needed to negotiate. And yeah. So, and, and it was a thing that we didn't talk about on but two feet. It's still a very critter thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I don't. I would not have felt felt comfortable uh, just engaging in play with you without going through that little bit of ritual, mm-hmm. uh, because that really was an introduction. And knowing you are a ragdoll, I remember having the conversation about your breed before mm-hmm. we jumped on the mat. You've always been, sorry, not to like sidetrack, but you've always been super interested in my breed. And I always thought it was super cool because no one really asks kitties their breed. And you've always been like super focused on. Do you <laughs> oh, have started? I'm shaking my fist. In the air. Do you have a breed? And I was like. And then, like, the next week, I was like, you know what? I do have a breed. And, like, but you've always kind of, like, gone out of your way to remember. Or maybe not gone out of your way. But, like, you've always been very, like, focused on the breed of kitty that I am. And it's just nice. It's nice. It's nice because it makes so much sense to me. And it helps give me some boundaries for how we mm-hmm. interact. And that's the same reason I ask other puppies if they have a breed, especially if I'm about mm-hmm. to play with them, because I know that different different breeds interact different ways. So different. And there's you know different energy levels mm-hmm. and expectations and that sort of thing. And and that's what I wanted to know before going in, so I could kind of gauge how to start that negotiation. I think a lot of that also comes from the fact that the puppy community is much more visible all over the place mm-hmm. and the discussion of like, oh, well, do you have a breed? Do you not have a breed? Yeah. Do you identify? Versus the kitten community or the cat community mm-hmm. is much more spread out and yeah. less, mm-hmm. they For don't sure. have those conversations. Mm-hmm. They aren't, you know, there's not whole Facebook groups talking about all the different breeds and such. And right? I, would, I would say that the public image of a Kitten is a very specific, specific thing, and it's not always related to pet play. Right. It's, it's related it's, to porn. Yes. yes. It's a very <laughs> fetish-oriented. specifically sex kitten, yeah. not right. in the critter type right. way. So it is kind of, a, mm-hmm. you know, that's the visibility of people like, oh, the girl in cat ears, meow. Or like the cat boy maid, meow. It's very awesome. specific. Yeah. I mean, I love them. I love them too. But, but like, it's also. a specific fetish or a niche, and yeah. sometimes I think that might lead to some of the confusion on top of all the other biases that we've discussed right. about that added public image of what a, a kitten or a cat looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to your point, there's, I don't think we've reached that critical mass yet of cats in the pet play community mm-hmm. to make breed differentiations and distinctions um, necessary. Yeah. I think when you At get this a whole point, bunch if there's a cat, go. there's, oh my God, there's a cat. Right, there's yeah. a cat, and therefore a we treat that person as a cat. I feel like we should host like, like a catio space. We can I went on the catio, like a cat cafe, a catio. My favorite Sorry. My whole thing about that, though, is, like, I know a ton of cats Mm -hmm. of varying types. Mm -hmm. Do we only see one here or there because they don't feel comfortable coming to 
Chuck or or is it because there just aren't that like I know a ton of people who are not just like sex I mean they might also be sex kids in addition but yeah but like they're kittens but they don't feel comfortable coming out to play they don't have spaces where they're also welcome because they're gonna show up and they're gonna be oh god there's a cat what do we do with that thing I didn't go to a pet night for probably four or five months before I ran into Akis at a non-pet event and he explained that he was going to this thing I was like cool well if I also go back to that thing that I had a bad experience at will you at least play with me yeah if if we talk about how do we fix these kinds of things Mm. I run into a bit of a problem um, because I'm afraid of tokenization Mm -hmm. because you have that one person Right. And, and in, in all these spaces and in the example you just gave, it's that one person who checks all these different boxes. Right. And now we can say we're diverse. Right. right. No, well, that's like, not no, how this we works. Have lots of people with these different right. boxes, yes. And uh, and and then I've also seen a number of organizations and events that give lip service to being open to other species mm-hmm. and critters and that yeah. sort of thing. And then whenever they show up, that just never seems to actually be acted upon. It doesn't play You're allowed, but this Correct. difference between being allowed and tolerated and wanted and welcomed. They're I'm tolerated a lot of places. Yeah, and so I think to your point, when when we have spaces that we're making open for play, when someone comes up, if they look hesitant, and I think the look of hesitancy on somebody's face is pretty easy to pick up on. Mm-hmm. If you see someone who you looks can smell hesitant, smell it a mile away. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. you walk up, and like the million dollar question to ask is, "How would you like me to interact with you?" Exactly. And like, like, what can we do to make this space work for you? That's fair. Um, as as something that not everybody does. And you know, and I feel like that's a simple thing to do. And mm-hmm. like you said, a lot of people apparently don't do that. And mm-hmm. and is that a small step in the right direction? Like for these spaces that are currently, even if they're just giving lip service, is this a small step in the right direction for these spaces to start to become more truly inclusive? Just by saying. How do we play with you? It encourages them to listen. Yeah. And if they can't even do anything about it in the moment, they can then remember for For next time. So in order to make these spaces more available and accessible to more people, we just need to start asking more questions and say, what do you need to make the space work for you? How can this space be made better for you? Yeah. That sort of thing. That's a great start, yeah. As as the representative token kitty at the table, (laughs) does that sound right to you? Is there something else? so I, I mean I can't speak for every kitty obviously right. but for me you know I had the want to be there mm-hmm. and I did try to be there I got brave and I went to a thing alone um, you know and I think maybe at that point had someone even cause at the when I went to you know there's the normal kind of like dungeon space going on but there was it was a critter night so they had specific areas set up to romp Mm -hmm. and so like even if someone had been like oh are you here for critter night oh you are like are you wanting to like romp things like that i think that would have been a great opening chance to be like yeah i would love to can i get on the mat with you type of deal like i think it's i don't think it'll fix everything but i think it's a great start to normalize the fact that not everyone's going to be a puppy Mm -hmm. You know, is having that conversation of, oh, what what are you? Like, mm-hmm. getting that conversation out there is the first step into making it more accessible to everyone. So I think the rule of thumb here is if you are in charge of a space or if you are hosting a space or if you're DMing a space or if you are the person at the entrance to a space, 
keep your eye out for those people that you're not familiar with mm-hmm. and ask them extra questions. Yeah. And I think asking the questions is, is a good start, but also just understanding that this is for any gender, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. We have got to move past this. And, mm-hmm. and we talk a lot on our podcast about the difference between you know, exclusive spaces, which are fine and fun and sexy and fantastic, and exclusionary spaces, which is like the ugly flip side of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think treading that line, understanding that any gender can be a part of that is really important on either side, whether you're the critic side or whether you're the dominant or the handler or side, the owner yeah. or whatever you want to be called yourself. Mm-hmm. I should be able to be there for my boy who wants to have a puppy time and him feel safe, like Amok pointed out. He knows I'm there if he needs right. me to keep him safe because he he's, he's a beta male. He's I mean, a bit he of a snack. Gonna, he's going to get eaten alive. And so that is where his comfort comes by having me there. So I'm going to be there mm-hmm. whether it makes other people uncomfortable or not, and I'm not sorry. And in Caitlin's case and in Amok's case, they should get to be there and play and have a good time and be their critter selves without having this additional like judgment slated against them because of the bodies they have. Yeah. Um, so we, we've been talking an awful lot about listening to people, asking questions of people, and, and basically just engaging in conversation to learn more about each other. Uh, so I want to transition, however awkwardly, into a question about uh, trying to learn and education and stuff. Um, and forgive me, this is a bit of a long question to get to where I'm going. Um, uh, I know that in the cisgendered gay male world, we worry an awful lot about losing a massive chunk of our history because of the AIDS crisis and the aging population of those who have survived. And, and there's just this gap in our collective knowledge. Um, I want to put in a quick plug here for the podcast called Making Gay History, hosted by documentary historian Eric Marcus. If you've not heard of it, it is amazing because he went and interviewed all the leaders in the movement and and the prominent figures historically in the LGBT uh, community. Um, So the question that I wanted to get at is what kinds of knowledge do you say the broader BDSM or kink community needs? Because what Eric Marcus and Making Gay History thoughts... It's going to be a whole episode just on this. Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got more books. Dive in. Anything... To do everything with women, you can go to a lot of the history classes mm-hmm. at, at conventions and events and things like that, and it is only or 99% the majority it's gay male history. There are decades worth of SM dykes and leather dykes and the women's movement that erased trans women and the second wave feminist movement and and that's my specialty and nobody talks about it and it puts me both in a blind rage and like a hysterical fit because i'm like but what about this person what about this event you've glossed completely over it and it's not from in my opinion not from malicious intent nobody talks about it because just nobody either doesn't know didn't bother to look it up or doesn't feel like there's a a market to listen to it about the the patriarchy exerting its own its its power over it also the own woman on woman erasure that happened for a lot of stuff that's that second wave feminism is is an erasure of lesbianism of our trans sisters and if you were a lesbian you were trash but if you were an S&M dyke or you were a leather dyke you were even below that and so there was an erasure from within and then on top of which well even when we're talking about gay men through the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. how many times do we talk about 
all of the lesbian sisters who, fed you? who came to the hospital to bathe you and feed you and take care of the nurses. Because the nurses wouldn't go in the op. That almost never gets talked about. We talk about bikes the fact on that nurses- bikes delivered meals to mm-hmm. people that were homebound in the AIDS crisis because right. they couldn't even afford to get. They could, there were no hospital beds. Nobody talks about it. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about it? And, and the work that so this is something that is a part of the Making a History podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the all the work that women did um, to make the LGBT movement acceptable and visible when the gay men swoop in and take all the credit for it, usually afterward, and yeah. completely erase any existence. Like yep. you know, I want to use just Stonewall briefly as example. Marsha B. Johnson, icon, historical figure, fantastic. But what about Stormy? Stormy? I'm going to jump in with another explanatory comma here. Madame Hexa is talking about Stormy Delarvier, who is the most famous Stonewall Riot instigator you've probably never heard of. Now that you have heard of her, you need to go learn more. I strongly recommend a podcast episode from The Nod called The Cowboy of the West Village. Be sure to check it out after this episode. I'll leave a link in the show notes. All right, back to the conversation already in progress. Yeah, her arrest triggered the throw. I mean, historically speaking, nobody talks about her. And even... Or if they do, it's kind of like, there was a lesbian that was arrested. And even Marsha half the time gets pushed under... Oh, yeah. If you look at these major events, you can see a lot of overlap in the types of classes offers, but you also see a lot of overlap of the same people teaching the same classes. And for me personally, kind of making my like debut as a quote-unquote educator is I want to kind of break the stereotypes. I want to teach from the S side. I want to teach from the non-sexualized side. I want to see more knowledge and education based around the things that skirt the edge. And but, I would add that on the, on the, the note of like debut teaching, as you mentioned, not being afraid to let someone teach for the first time. Yes, because we oh do God. get the same people over and over again. And that's not, I'm sure that's not just in this area. I'm sure no, that is a global yeah. problem. But if there is somebody new who's never taught summer before, has a fresh idea, or just a fresh intake on a similar topic, they should be given that chance, yeah? Because you need that freshness. Right. Maybe they have found something you don't know. Maybe they have done the research on a demographic that you ignored for decades. <laughs> or maybe they just have a new insight from a different perspective. Maybe they're not a white man who's a dominant, and maybe they just have a totally different perspective that you should listen to. I definitely think there needs to be more emphasis on things outside of the standard trend and a little deeper into the the conversations because mm-hmm. you see a lot of times like rope is exploding it's the hot new things there are 3000 rope 101 courses but we don't get much deeper than that and we're not taking care of the rest of the community and then needles or knife play or fire play or pup play and it's the cyclical thing they all do it they come and go every couple of years but remembering that there are all of these other areas out there that also should get attention. Yeah. Um, and then I really think that the community needs to start embracing unconferences more. Yes. Ooh. That word just wrote it in my notes. One of the, so explain to me what it is. I don't yeah. know what an unconference okay, is. Okay, so one of my... 
I'll step in again here because Amuk and I got really excited and gave Caitlin lots of examples, and we took probably 20 minutes to answer her simple question. So here goes the short, short version. An unconference is a spontaneous, dynamic system of live scheduling conference sessions and discussion topics based on audience interest in the moment. At a normal conference, all the classes are set up in advance, and you know who's teaching what long before you arrive. In an unconference, people gather for a planning session on the first day, in which anyone can suggest a topic for discussion. It can be something they're an expert in, something they want to learn about, or even a challenging question they want help thinking through. Then, the people in the room vote for topics they find interesting, and folks volunteer their expertise to lead, or interest to facilitate, sessions on things people want to learn or discuss. The whole idea is that the topics are chosen by the people at the conference, and the sessions draw from the expertise and curiosity in the room. An unconference organically grows out of whatever's on the minds of the conference attendees, rather than being dictated months in advance by the conference organizers. They do take time, energy, and trust to coordinate, but they make conference sessions super relevant to the immediate needs of the attendees. Amak and I highly, highly recommend them for future leather events as a great way of sharing knowledge that's needed in the moment. Okay, let me toss the ball back to my past self to close this out. So I think we should wrap up. I was going to say, yeah. I think we're yeah. wrap up. Yeah. Right. Sorry. That's fine. Thanks for listening to The Dog Dish, and special thanks to Madam Hexa, Caitlin Case, and Amok for their time, perspectives, and insights in this episode. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy these conversations and want to keep them coming, if these episodes help you feel connected in times of isolation, please help support the show's production. Imagine if you and I had these chats in a bar and you'd say, let me buy you a drink. Consider sending that along to make sure everyone everywhere can benefit from these discussions. Just follow the Become a Patron link at dogdishshow.com. Thanks for helping out. In the meantime, go train your favorite podcast player to fetch, so you'll hear the next episode once it's released. Or you can visit dogdishshow.com for all episodes, for more information about the show, and to get in touch. But until then, you stay. Stay tuned for more, that is. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs>